two roads diverge in a yellow wood. Sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could. To, the, to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps to better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in the wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Not cool, Robert Frost. You got a Bible in front of you. You can grab it. Turn to John chapter 12. So today we're going to take about, talk about which way. We started a few weeks ago talking about the way, whether you're leading or following or if you're in the way. We talked, we've, we've talked on several occasions about uh, how we, we, we choose what we're doing if we're allowing Jesus to lead. Or that last week we talked about what's the motivation for us walking the path, and it should always be the motivation of love. Love for God above everything else. Love for other people and love for other brothers. Jesus tells us those are the most important things, the most, the most important reasons we do anything. You know, I have days in my life where I need kid president. I just do. There are days I have to be reminded that it's worth it. There are days I have to be reminded, Aaron, don't take what's easy. Choose the hard thing. And I need somebody to get right here in my face and remind me of why I do what I do and encourage me to choose correctly. Back in the spring, I had a moment where that, I desperately needed that. And I can remember my two, my two closest friends on all the earth cornered me in my office and said, Aaron, pay attention to what you're doing. And encouraged me, I had to get my priorities back in line. And they not only came alongside of me and trapped me in my office for about an hour and a half, they took me away for an evening and said, Aaron, let's get you refocused. And so we went away that evening and that next day and, and just got some things hammered out. And, and my life has been completely different ever since that pep talk moment. I and we as Christians sometimes need for us to be reminded of what we ought to choose and how we ought to choose and why we choose what we choose. And my prayer is this month of September, I have maybe been that for you, that I remind you of where, where priorities ought to lie. My prayer has been I have reminded of you of, of your motivation for, for what, why you do what you do. But I also want to remind you that you have to choose daily that you have to choose, Jesus even says those words, you've got to choose correctly. Remember the value of following Jesus, the reality of what, where, of, of what his path leads us through and leads us into. His path leads us through things. Rarely does his path lead us around things. 
His path leads us through and into and to ultimately a heavenly home. It's hard to navigate by natural means. This journey we're on is not easy. It's hard to find. There are thorns and glass and whatever else he said on the screen. Not cool. Rocks. Robert Frost. The pep talk we find in Scripture today tells us the how of following Jesus. We've discussed the what, and the what's following, and the why is falling in love. But here is the how. It's the next element we're going to contend with, the how of following Jesus. John 12, 25, where we'll start. If you're looking at those Bibles, you can turn to 950, page 951 if you don't know where John is. It'll be right there. If you have a New Testament version, which we have still some of those in the pews, it's like page 115 or something. Um, John 12, 25, where he's like, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, Jesus keeps using that word, signifying what terms, what things, what, 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 what it is to be, to be one who is in this faith we call Christianity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am. We talked about that last week. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Verse 27, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Verse 28, he says, Father, bring glory to your name. Jesus says these words. He says, follow me. And almost in the same breath, he signifies the immensity of the path he's walking. My soul is deeply troubled. See, there are two paths to take. Jesus' path did not lead to ease and comfort. Jesus' path led through tribulation and difficulty. And so a person who is a disciple must, is a person who forsakes the easy path. Forsakes the easy way. A person who is a follower of Christ, a disciple, chooses almost daily not to take the path that seems the easiest or the smoothest, almost without fail. Somebody who's zealously following Christ chooses the road that has less wear, the road that seems most treacherous and most difficult. Because we cannot follow Jesus without walking through that garden that he's in. In that moment, he prays that prayer. If we follow Jesus, it leads into a garden where Jesus is is under such duress that his sweat would turn to great drops of blood. This path that follows Jesus is the path that most everybody else around us will not take. The path that follows Jesus is the path that, 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 is, that, that is hard 
You know why? Because we have to love not our lives in this world. Did he say that? Those who love their life in this world will lose it. He's, doing a, he, he's dealing with a question of people's heart. I heard a guy say yesterday at a pastor's conference, he said, every problem we have is a worship problem. The things we worship get us into trouble. The only way to get out of trouble is to worship out of trouble by surrendering and laying our lives before Christ. And I thought that was really powerful. You see, it's an issue of my affection. It's the issue of my heart. If I love my life in this planet, on this earth, my carnality, I will make certain decisions. But if I give no regard to my life and my well-being and, and what's good for me, I make completely different decisions. I, I, it changes everything. And Jesus makes these statements. And he's looking at each of us. He says, those who love not their life in this world, they've decided to follow me. They've let go of the temporary. You know why they can let go of the temporary? It's because their why is already dealt with. They've dealt with the love issue. Do I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength? Because if I do, my life suddenly becomes different. If I love people like I love myself, suddenly my decisions take on a whole other vein. If I love other brothers the way Christ loved me, then suddenly I make a whole other realm of decisions. And sometimes out of love for God and love for people and love for the family of Christ, I make conscious decisions that are difficult, that mess up my plans, that mess up my schedule, that mess up my ideas of who I am and who other people are and all that. It just messes up. And Jesus says, a person who follows me forsakes. I heard this quote yesterday at the same conference. It was the C.S. Lewis. says, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. All that is not eternal is eternally useless. I bet. If you guys are a lot like me, there are days, there are weeks I can look back. And I have spent 95% of my time on things that are eternally useless because they're not eternal. Anybody with me? And Jesus is calling us to such a higher place. Jesus, they let, Jesus let go of the temporary. He says, right now, my soul is deeply troubled. Father, glorify your name. You see, Jesus let go of the temporary frustration and hurt and pain he was going through. And he said, Father, I've grabbed a hold of you. You're the eternal one. They have let go of the temporary and they have grabbed a hold of the eternal. That's a mark of a true disciple, a true follower of Christ. Not a mere Christian or a mere believer, but a person who is on the path and out of the rut. See, the path that's easily traveled, easily, easily detectable and mostly traveled is a rut. It has a lot of wear. It's worn down in the middle of the path because there's been so many feet that have walked. There's a rut there. But the road that's less traveled is not a rut. It's a higher place. Are you with me? And he calls us to a higher place. Here's the thing, Christian. Here's the thing, believer. Here's the thing, follower. Here's the thing, disciple. Here's, here's the thing. Don't expect most people around you to 
be on that path. Don't expect most of your family to be on that path. Don't expect most of your co-workers and neighbors to be on that path. Don't expect even sometimes the people you regularly hang out with, you consider the closest of friends even to be on that path. Don't expect other people who call themselves Christians necessarily to be on that path. Jesus is talking. We, we referred to, to Matthew 7 last week. We said this talking about love. Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the law and the prophets, Jesus said in Matthew 12. Then he just keeps trucking. Verse 13 reads like this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. You see, this is one thought for Jesus. He's talking about the motivation for why you do things, love for people. And he says this very next thought, the very next breath out of his mouth, he says, you can, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. Those are hard words. Jesus, Jesus is, he's talking about the golden rule and he, he talks about the access to righteousness. It doesn't come through a wide and broad place. It comes through a small and narrow place. In light of the whole sermon, a commentator wrote, it was obvious Jesus was comparing the wide gate and the broad road to the outward righteousness of the Pharisees. If those listening to Jesus followed the Pharisees' teaching, their path would lead to destruction. The narrow gate and road referred to, referred to Jesus' teaching, which emphasized not external requirements, but internal transformation. Even the Lord Jesus knew that few would find the true way, the way that leads to life, the way that leads to heaven. See, this is the way that Jesus asks us to walk. The way of forsaking. Forsaking what's easy. Forsaking what's comfortable. Forsaking what's fun. Forsaking what's normal. Forsaking what's just merely religious. He says, forsaking what you desire, what you want, loving your life in this world. We forsake the easy path for the difficult one. I want to give you a theology lesson for just a minute. In the New Testament, there are what we call four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we call synoptic Gospels. Meaning they are the same. It's like the word synonym. The reason that is said that is because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 90% of the content in one of the book you'll find in the other two. They're almost a direct, like you have like three people at a street corner where a car accident happens, and there are three different people giving you an account of the same exact incident. Okay, you get that? John is not considered a synoptic gospel. Only 10% of what you find in the book of John will you find the other three. Here's a very important piece of this puzzle. 
These words I have just read are one of the few things that are found in all four. You know what that means? These are very important concepts to our God. This idea of forsaking is one of the most important pieces of of information, one of the most important pieces of the word of God, one of the most important pieces of revelation you will find because it is found in all four. This is very rare in the scripture. And so when Jesus makes these words about forsaking, it's found in Luke 14, 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, we talk about this, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father, your mother, your wife, and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. You don't carry your own cross and follow me. You cannot be my disciple, Mark 8, 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if anyone wants to be my my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And he goes on to talk about what what, what does it do for a man to, to gain the entire world but lose his soul. Matthew 16, 24, the very same thing. If anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You see, it's, it's, it's all over. What, one of the things Jesus wanted to make sure we got about him and his message is that you cannot take the the easy path. You cannot take what comes natural. You cannot take what is normal. You cannot take the path, the broad path. You have to take the narrow path. And that's hard for us. It will be really easy next week to get your bag chair out of, your, out, of, out of the back of your car, take it, find enough shady spot, and just sit and watch what happens. That will be very easy. It'll be not so easy to get up out of your chair and help a mom who's got three kids single walking through a food line and you have to put your food and your drink down and help her walk through the line with her kids. It will not be easy to get out of your comfort zone when you see somebody sitting by themselves and get up and walk away from from your ease and comfort and your shade because they're staying out in the sun and spend some time with them because you notice they are there by themselves. It will not be easy to show up Saturday morning because the Buckeyes are probably playing Saturday afternoon and Aaron's called a stinking meeting at 11 o'clock till 1230 to watch, to, to, to do some evangelism when I'd rather be tailgating and eating wings, not worried about the gospel. Be very easy to do that. It might be very difficult to actually take a book that has the gospel and put it in somebody's hands and then take another step and say, listen, here's my name and phone number. If you have questions about what you find in this book about the person of Christ, I will meet you at Tim Hortons later this week and we will sit and drink coffee and I will walk you through what it means to follow Jesus. That'll be, that'll be hard. But Jesus hasn't called us to the easy way. He's called us to take the path less traveled by. He's called us to not take the route everybody else has taken. He's asked us to stand in the middle of those woods, look at the two paths and go, okay, which one will I take? The path that leads to forsaking. Can I say something to you? Jesus says, he, he, he talks about there's only a few who find it. 
But a beautiful thing about, about following Jesus is even though you might be lonely, you're never alone. Jesus would look at his disciples in John 16, 32 and 33. He said that my time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. I'm taking the narrow path, he's telling them. You guys are going to ditch me. But as I'm going to hold me back, I'm going. I'm walking with God. I'm taking that path in the wood that's less traveled. Nobody's walked this way before. He said, you guys will leave me. He says, yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. He makes this statement, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. When you take my path, it will not be easy, but I make you a promise. We'll overcome this thing together. In the middle of the difficulty, my peace that passes all understanding will cover your heart and your mind. It's not easy. I've got a plumber sitting back on that side of the building, and I've got an electrical dude sitting back on that part, just directly almost apart from each other. Can I ask you guys a question? In your guys' profession, what does water and electricity do naturally? Which path does it take? Water and electricity will take naturally, because they are natural things, will naturally take the path of least resistance. Here's the thing. We are not merely natural. We are supernatural. And so we, by nature, should not be choosing the easy path. We, by nature, should be like, dude, that's the hard one. I'm taking that one. You know why? The living God lives inside of me. He is bigger than everything natural and everything normal and everything easy and everything fun. He is bigger than that. He promises us that when we, when we follow him, he will lead us to a life that's more abundant. But honestly, most of us don't find that. You know why? Because we keep choosing the easy path. It's true. The path of following Jesus, the path that forsakes is the path that forsakes rights. It forsakes offenses. It forsakes personal ambition. It forsakes pleasure and comfort. Because of that, it leads to a place where we have to deal with issues. We have to deal with ourselves. We've got to deal with other people. Because a disciple who follows, a disciple who loves, and a disciple who forsakes is also, he does something else or she does something else that's completely supernatural because it does not come natural to us. It leads to, after following and loving and forsaking, it leads to, that path leads to forgiveness. And that is one of the most difficult things we will ever take on. You know why? That path of following Jesus leads to the cross. What do we find at the cross? The forgiveness of the Father. Our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus, the thing that separates us from him. You know what? It's, it, it, it's the place where God's plan was to reconcile and restore humanity to himself. That was the whole deal of leading Jesus down the path that he went. 
It's natural to hang on to things. It's natural to just grab a hold of stuff and just, ah, that makes me so angry. Ah, that makes me so frustrated. And, the, ooh, and you just grab a hold with everything you got. It's, it's supernatural to go. It's, that's what Jesus did. See, because here's what happens. You can only let go of that kind of stuff once you've died. Many of you think Jesus died up on the cross, but that's not true. You see, there's this battle going on as Jesus takes this path of, 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 of narrowness. He takes this path least traveled, and it leads him right into a place called Gethsemane, a place of pressure, a place of frustration. And right there in that garden, Jesus would say things like this. Going a little further, he fell down to the ground under such weight on this path of forsaking everything. Philippians 2 said he would leave the comfort of heaven and he would become a servant and be such a servant that he would die a miserable death. He's forsaken and he falls under the pressure. And he prayed that this hour might pass from him. And he makes this statement, Daddy, he's, he's standing in a garden, great drops of blood and sweat pouring from his face. And the only thing he could utter at that moment is, Daddy. In the scripture, it would say, Abba, Father. But in, in the Greek language, that word Abba means Daddy. He's calling out with a term of endearment to the Father. Who can help him? And he's like, Daddy, you ever had your kid do that to you? Hurting? A couple weeks ago, I had, I had my son break his arm and bust up his face. And I remember watching him as he, he's trying to deal with all that and emotionally tore up because, you know what, he must be taken after his dad. He's five years old. He just started playing uh, flag football at the Y one night a week, and he had one practice in on Tuesday night. And Thursday, he falls off a swing, and he gets in the car, and he's trying to hold it together. He, he's one of those kids who, who's tough as nails. He only started crying once he realized his face was bleeding. And I watched him. He's walking up, and he's holding his arm kind of like this. He's going, Dad, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding, Dad. And I'm like, I know, buddy. Let's see. And I thought maybe he needed stitches in his lip or something. You know? And we're looking at it, and, and, and we're kind of talking. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, Rachel's like, what happened to his arm? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And Rachel's looking at it. Come to find out, he broke both bones right there. He hasn't shed the first tear yet about those broken bones. Hasn't once. I watched him in the x-ray room. The tech will try to get him to take his arm and move up this way so she could take a shot down this way through his arm. And he about came up out of the chair. He was a twist like that. <gasps> Face shook. Sat back down. I said, you can't do that, can you, buddy? He's like, I don't think so, Dad. Okay. And so they put him up on some pillows, and they shot it this way on purpose so they could get in with the thing. And to, hasn't, hadn't shed the first tear about me. Didn't, ha, didn't have, he didn't have a Tylenol, didn't have no, no kind of painkillers, none. Sat in the ER for like two and a half hours, nothing. We got a prescription we still have not filled yet. Tough as nails. I remember watching him. He, we, we pull out of the driveway to head toward the, the ER, and I look back in the rearview mirror, and he's sitting in the car seat right behind me, and he goes, Daddy. I'm like, what, buddy? He said, am I still going to be able to play football? I'm like, I don't know, buddy. We'll have to see. We don't know what's wrong with you yet. So I don't know. And then we went to the doctor on Friday, got the cast. And I said, I said Eric, you got, a, you got a question for the doctor? And he's like, can I play football? The doctor said, no. 
I don't want you sweating in that cast because if you sweat in that cast, it'll get mushy and loose and you may do more damage. So nothing that requires sweat. He looked at me, he looked over at me like, it's going to be okay, buddy. He wanted to say dad. He wanted to cry out right there in the middle of that room. Daddy. Jesus is in that place where he's under pain. He's going, daddy, do we have to do this? Does it have to be this way? He looks at him and he goes, everything is possible for you. Take this from me. And this, this is the point where Jesus dies right here. The very, the very next words. This, this is the point where he dies. Yet not my will, Father, but your will be done. At that moment, it's a done deal. Jesus has considered himself dead to the plan of himself and everybody else around him. He said, I'm alive to the Father. Whatever he asks, whatever he wants. And see, those words is found in Mark 14. It's found in Luke. Luke tw- the, 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 the path of forsaking ends in, the, in his death in Gethsemane. You think his death happened on, on Calvary. It did not. It happened in Gethsemane because he says, not my will. Your will be done. And he dies right there. He reckoned himself dead to himself. Dead to what Judas wanted. Dead to what Peter wanted. Dead to what his mom wanted. Dead to all that stuff. At that moment, he's dead. And then he's gone through all the excruciating pain of walking that path. And because he was already dead, he can utter these words in Luke 12, 23, 20, 34. Father, forgive them. You know how he said those words? Because he was already dead. A dead man packs no baggage with him. A dead man packs no offense. A dead man has been released from everything that is a frustrating about this life and the temporariness of it, and he's grabbed a hold of eternity, and that's all he's looking for. And Jesus utters words from a cross. Because he had forsaken, he could forgive easily. Because the things we hang on to that cause us to not want to forgive are things that are very temporal. They said that about me. I can't believe they did that. I, you know, I can't believe they, they, they took my money from me. I can't believe they did. I can't believe they did. And they, did, and they didn't even call. When we've died to self, we can go, you know what? Forgive them. Forgive them. I don't need that anyway. I got to make tracks on this less than traveled road. I don't have time to hang on to that. There's rocks. If I'm hanging on to extra stuff, I can't even, even, even guard myself from falling. He could say those words because he was already dead. His death didn't come at the hands of Pilate. Didn't come because of the accusations of the Pharisees. His death didn't come because he, 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 it didn't, come, it didn't come at the hands of the Jews or the Roman guards discouraging. His death didn't happen in the praetorium or on Calvary. His death occurred in the garden. He forsook. Paul would write these words. Now, and so this, his path of forsaking gave him the ability to forgive. You know why? Because his path of forsaking led him right to it. Led him right to it. He knew that was the Father's heart. He could willingly offer forgiveness to those who deserved it the least. 
And check this out. He offered to those who were the immediate focus of his pain. The ones at that very second, that very moment, who had driven nails into his hands. The very ones who right now were mocking him, standing below him, saying all kinds of evil about him. The very ones who who had plucked the beard from his face. He looks at them in the middle of the still suffering, still, still under the gun of the pressure. And he goes, Father, forgive them. You know why? Because he'd already forsaken it. He'd forsaken this life. He says, follow me in this. ones that conspired. Paul would write in Galatians 2.20 as a follower of Jesus. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless because here's the deal. We have a certain standard of operation we want people to live up to. It's our law. Listen to the next lines. For if keeping law could make us right with God, then there's no need for Christ to die. And we have to unleash people. Brennan Manning said these words, only reckless confidence in a source greater than ourselves can empower us to forgive the wounds inflicted by others. Colossians 3, you'll find these words. Since then you've been raised with Christ, you've suffered death. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Let loose of earthly stuff. For your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And as he's setting this trend, as he's setting this trend of forsaking and dying, down in verse 13, he says these words, Bear with each other and forgive one another. It's just a correct, just a, it follows the same path. Because you've died, you know what? You can forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is the doorway that opened the path of the kingdom to us. Forgiveness is the key by which we live free as we walk this path. 70 times 7, right? Forgiveness is the way we offer passes to other people to the kingdom. It's beautiful. The parable of the lost son. Think of this. I, I heard a preacher talk about this recently, and it just blew my mind. He, Jesus calls both. He, he's in a large crowd of people, and he's talking about this idea of forgiveness. And there he has the Pharisees and the Sadducees standing all around him, the re- very religious people. He also has the lesser thans prostitutes and others and things, all in the same crowd, standing in a, in a And he begins to tell a story about this son who basically walks up to his dad and goes, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff now. Imagine that kind of pain. I wish you were dead, dad. Because if you were dead, I could have everything I wanted. That's what he said. That's what he said to his dad. Let's not dress it up. Dad, I want you dead. I'd rather have stuff than you. I want this life. I don't care about nothing else. And Jesus says to these people, listen, he's got them all to the point. And they're all in the crowd for the first time ever. The religious folks and the scummy folks are all agreeing. That dude is a jerk. He deserves what he's got coming. That is sick. 
dad never did anything to harm him. What is he doing? And Jesus brings them both to the point where they're going, yeah, somebody fry that guy. Yeah, what's his problem? And they're all finally, for the first time ever, the religious folks and the lost folks are all agreeing together. That guy's a jerk. And Jesus tells a story about the dad running off the porch to meet the son. And they have no idea how to contend with that. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding me? The lost are going, dude, I wouldn't do anything that heinous to your own dad. Are you kidding me? Really? And they're listening, you know, the laws are here, and they're just, and they're all like, oh my goodness. Here's the deal. See, in that story, dad has no idea the kind of stuff son's going to be packing back into the house. It had been so much easier just to pretend that the son was dead. I don't have to deal with that. In my mind, he's dead already. He's just gone. He's just gone. Good, he's gone. I have to deal with that. Bringing him back into the home all of a sudden creates a whole path of difficulty and frustration and addiction and hurt and pain. And all of a sudden, that's a, the easy path is to go, he's just gone. The hard path is to go, you know what? I love you. And I'm going to walk out the rest of our days together somehow. The natural path is to go, he's just gone. The supernatural path is to go, wait for him to come home. Oh, man, it's beautiful. Cross is the place of great pain, but also a place of great reconciliation. Can I say something to you, Christian, believer, follower? Some of you sit here right now, and you feel more like the lost son than you feel like the one who stayed home. And you're like that guy who sits here and goes, I don't even deserve to be called your child. But I don't know where else to go. You know what daddy says? Come home. So you know what you got to do right now? You got to forgive you. Because he already has. And you got to be dead to the things you hold against yourself. You know what brother that stayed home? You got to forgive the brother who left. Because you know why? God already forgave you. And you should die to what you think is right and die to what you think you deserve and die to what, and go, you know what? I've already forsaken. I do not love my life, my, 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 my life in this world. I have already died to it. Those are hard. That's, that's a supernatural thing. The world comes against our forsaking, you know that. Lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and all that stuff. The world comes against that, but you know what? It's us that comes against us forgiving. So once we die, we can do that. Once we die the world, we can forsake stuff. Once we die to ourselves and our selfish ways, what Jesus would say in Luke 14, then we can begin the process of walking in reconciliation, restoration towards other people. Both lead us to the same spot. We've got to take them in order. The path of most resistance, the path that leads us toward being supernatural creatures. The path, did I say that right? No, I didn't. The path of leisure is not the path that leads us towards the supernatural. It's the path of most resistance that causes Jesus to display his glory in our lives. Jesus says, Father, not my will, your will be done. I'm troubled. Don't deliver me from this hour. He said, glorify your name. Can I ask you a question? 
We've talked with, you need to choose the how. How are you going to get to where Jesus wants you to go? Which path are you going to take? Romans 12, 1 and 2 read like this. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Your temporal, your temporal things. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, it's natural to serve and work towards self-preservation. That's natural and self-comfort. It's natural to choose that, but it's supernatural. It takes supernatural to not only choose to walk the path of being a living sacrifice difficulty, it's supernatural to do that. It's natural to want revenge. It's supernatural to want and do what is necessary to achieve reconciliation. Can I ask you a question? Have you forsaken? Have you, have you dropped your plan? Have you, have you dropped your dream? Have, have, have you 